Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Bowne and welcome to The Culture Catalyst, a podcast for leaders to embed the systems that create high-performance teams. I'm obsessed with the collective capacity for all humans to come together in small groups and make a difference. As a performance coach and author, I bring together a potent mix of positive psychology, neuroscience and organisation dynamics to help modern leaders create workplaces where people thrive. Welcome listeners to The Culture Catalyst and today I'm going to be talking about the power of culture. Now culture is often described as our most powerful intangible asset because it doesn't appear on a balance sheet, right? It's intangible. But over the last few decades, a lot of research has gone into making the intangible tangible. And in this podcast, I hope to make the business case for investing in culture. Now, people stuff, the people area, HR or human remains, as my ex-boss at Swiss, Catherine Crowley, used to call them. The people department used to be seen as the soft and fluffies. It used to be seen as a cost centre. But nowadays, especially in the wake of the great resignation and the great reshuffle of a post-COVID world, the people and culture department is viewed as a value centre. It's now more common to see people and culture professionals in executive teams and even in boards. Their capability to add value is is less questioned and more sought, which is a really great thing that we're starting to see. So people aren't viewed as costs. They're viewed as assets worth investing in. So how do we turn the intangible into the tangible? Well, we measure it. We measure the outcomes of culture. Now, there are a number of ways we can measure the outcomes of culture. The most traditional way is turnover, of course. Uh, What's the cost of losing somebody? What's the cost of recruiting somebody? And the time to fill roles. So these are traditional ways of measuring culture. We often look at incidents of safety, safety incidents. So the number of work cover claims or the cost of work cover claims as an outcome of culture. More recently, we're looking more and more to engagement as a measure of culture. So engagement is sometimes kind of mixed up a little bit. It's not actually your culture. Engagement is the outcome of of culture. It's what we get when we do culture really well, right? So engagement, a really simple way of thinking about it is whether people want to say, stay or strive. They say good things about the organisation. They want to stay and they strive. They give discretionary effort or above the bare minimum to get the job done. So engagement is a really good outcome measure of culture. And there are other outcomes of culture like stress, teamwork, quality, safety and absenteeism. So these are all outputs of culture. So I'd like to turn to an excerpt from my book now, which introduces us to some of the research from Human Synergistics, a global research organisation looking at measuring culture and the impact of culture. This reading is from Purpose, Passion and Performance by Stephanie Bowne. How Systems for Leadership, Culture and Strategy Drive the Three Ps of High-Performing Organisations. Human Synergistics, one of the world's leading companies measuring and consulting on cultural transformation, defines culture as the shared values, norms and expectations that govern the way people approach their work and interact with each other. Human Synergistics measures culture against 12 different styles of thinking and behaviour, clustered as constructive, passive-defensive or aggressive-defensive styles. In cultures that demonstrate predominantly constructive styles, people are encouraged to interact with each other in positive and supportive ways. In these cultures, people balance a focus on task and goal achievement with a focus on people and relationships. They are described as humanistic companies, companies that emphasise the learning, growth and well-being of their people in the achievement of business goals. 
These cultures outperform cultures that demonstrate predominantly passive defensive or aggressive defensive styles of behaviour on a number of outcomes at the individual, team and organisational levels, delivering an average performance improvement across all three levels of 28%. Compared to those working in predominantly passive defensive or aggressive defensive cultures, employees in constructive cultures report 26% more satisfaction, 32% more motivation, 19% greater role clarity, 26% less stress, 28% better teamwork, 30% better inter-unit coordination, 25% more commitment to departmental quality, 32% greater perception of external adaptability, and 32% greater perception of organisational quality. In a 2011 analysis of five Australian companies, Adshell, Mastercard, Yarra Valley Water, Richmond Football Club, and Lion Nathan. Human Synergistics researchers also found improvements in revenue, EBIT, market share, engagement, staff retention, and customer satisfaction as a direct result of culture transformation initiatives. Gallup's most recent meta-analysis on team engagement and performance includes data on 1.8 million employees accumulated over the past two decades. Their analysis revealed that those in the top quartile of engagement outperformed those in the bottom quartile of engagement on a number of performance outcomes, including 41% lower absenteeism, 24% less turnover in high turnover organisations, 59% less turnover in low turnover organisations, 28% less shrinkage, 70% fewer safety incidents, 40% fewer quality defects, 10% higher customer ratings, 17% higher productivity, 20% higher sales, and 21% higher profitability. What does all this research tell us? It demonstrates that people's behaviour matters. You may have the world's greatest product and go-to-market strategy, but if you do not have a culture that emphasises constructive behaviour, and healthy functioning of the human system, you will not have engaged employees and your business will never achieve high performance. This reading was from Purpose, Passion and Performance, awarded top three leadership books in Australia in 2001. So if we're going to think about building a business case for investing in culture, there's three things I'd like to touch on in this podcast today. The first is what are we measuring when we're measuring culture? I'd then like to talk a little bit about the cost of investing versus not investing. And we'll finish up with how important it is to not just get people in, but get the right people in. So let's look at, first of all, measuring culture. So the great thing, the thing I really like about human synergistics is that they look at not just measuring the output of culture or engagement as a measure of culture. Their research tools help us measure the causal factors of culture, so the things that drive culture. They help us measure the actual behaviours demonstrated as well as the outputs of culture. And Human Synergistics happens to be the only measurement system in the world that provides us with a snapshot of actual behaviours. So it gives us a picture of the degree to which constructive behaviours are demonstrated in your organisation versus defensive behaviours. And if you map your constructive behaviours against your value system, 
what you then have is this scientifically validated researched tool with normative data to help you understand the degree to which we're actually living our values in the organisation. So it can be a very useful measure for culture in that regard. So when we're looking at these sort of three things of culture, think about them as sort of three bubbles in a row. Causal factors drive behaviours or the actual culture, which drives the outcomes of culture. And causal factors, these are the things that drive culture, of course. So they include the mission and strategy and how well we're actually cascading goals from our strategy through teams to individuals. It includes the organisational design. So what's the structure and how are we designing roles? And what's the degree of autonomy and significance that we're actually designing into roles? It also includes people practices, so how people are actually treated at each stage of their employee experience or their life cycle from recruitment all the way through to onboarding to performance management, ultimately to either promotional or leaving. So the way people are treated at those different stages have a huge bearing on how the culture actually is experienced. And then finally, it's how leaders lead. So this is a really big one. It's probably the most important one. It's how leaders communicate, create clarity, provide feedback develop and coach and how they ultimately also behave. Do they demonstrate and role model the values of the organisation? So all of those things are levers we can pull if we want to have an impact on how people actually behave in an organisation, which then determines the outcomes of culture. The outcomes are measured at an individual, a team and an organisational level. How engaged are people? How satisfied are they? What degree of stress are they experiencing? At a team level, are people working well together within their teams, but also across the different teams? And at an organisational, do people believe they're actually delivering a good quality output and that we're meeting the needs of our customers and our external stakeholders? So when we get a picture of culture, what we really want to try and understand is what's driving it, what does it look like behaviourally, and what are the outputs of culture? And then we can get a really strong assessment for the value how we create more value, as in the outputs, by moving the levers of the causal factors. So that's one way of really understanding how we measure this, turn this intangible into the tangible. If we're going to be looking at the actual business case for this, what's the cost of investing in your culture versus not investing in your culture? And I haven't come across one organisation in the last 18 months that I've been working with, and I work across a large cross-section of businesses, organisational sizes. Nobody has been unaffected by the great resignation or the great reshuffle. I think what a lot of business leaders are discovering is that the cost of losing talent far outweighs the cost of investing in your culture to keep great talent. So it's said that a rough estimate for the cost of replacing somebody is three times their salary. So just think about that for a second. Three times the salary is the cost of replacing somebody than keeping them. And what are those costs coming from? They're coming from the recruitment cost itself the time lost in productivity due to the recruitment process. It comes from the onboarding process, the time we need to invest in upskilling those people and the lost revenue from that person needing to be replaced. So an example for this is an 80K employee, somebody earning $80,000 a year would cost us 240K to replace. So if you think about things that way and you look at your turnover number and you just throw a couple of rough numbers on that, what's it costing you at the moment to not invest in your culture? And I guess the other question that a lot of businesses need to ask themselves in, well, well then what should we be investing? How much should we invest in each employee to really minimise that turnover cost, particularly when it comes to minimising the turnover of top talent? Of course, there's always unwanted turnover, but sometimes there's wanted turnover too, right? What we want to minimise is unwanted turnover. So what should we be investing in each employee? 
A rough estimate is about 2 to 3% of their salary. 2% of 80K is about a $1,600 investment in that individual. And what that $1,600 might cover is a course that that person might want to explore or some specific coaching that they're looking for. Or if that specific individual doesn't need anything that costs external to invest in them, then that money can be put to other programs that are going to support the well-being of other members of the organisation. So if you look at your wage bill and you say what's 2 to 3% of that wage bill and you, and you say to your people and culture department, right, let's look what we can do with that investment, well, then we're starting to get really, we're getting a proactive approach to keeping talent in our business. So 2% of 80K, uh, that $1,600 investment, is still a lot less than 240K to replace them, isn't it? So when I worked at Swiss Wellness, it was privately owned, Australian owned. This was prior to its sale and, and listing. We had a three-tiered system for a budget for investment for that organisation. So rather than think about a blanket 2 to 3% across all staff, what we did was invest more in the, the most senior people and then slightly less at middle management and slightly less at frontline again. So a kind of a, a basic number to go by is $10,000 for your executive per head and then $2,000 for middle managers and then $1,000 for entry-level staff. So we used that as a bit of a starting point to budget for investment in learning and development and, and talent. And that budget went towards supporting learning goals, cost company engagement programs, leadership development, you know, all up really about 2 to 3% of the, of the salary bill. And our regrettable turnover rate at the time was less than 10%. And we had a couple of workforces, uh, a blue collar workforce, a sales workforce, where typically turnover was a lot higher than that in the industry. We managed to keep that down because of the investment we put in people. Similarly, Stone and Wood uh, Brewing Company in Australia, when that was privately owned, they allocated a budget of $2,000 each year to each employee to dedicate to learning of whatever they wanted and regardless of seniority or tenure. And they asked that half of that be committed to personal development and half be allocated to professional development. Now, what was interesting for them that not everybody applied for their full allocation of you know, learning and development investment every year. But what that did allow for was the budget to fund for these initiatives and to pay for whole organisation approaches as well. So what we really need to do is look at the cost of investing versus not investing in, in organisations and think holistically about how we can allocate some of that budget to investment rather than cost recovery of turnover. If you'd like to participate in a free online learning event for CEOs, founders or people and culture executives, go to my website stephaniebound.com forward slash events for more information and to secure your spot. This year, we have a program of events on how to create alignment, transform culture, or inspire high performance. I look forward to seeing you there. And look, the final thing when we're looking at the business case for investing in culture is that we need to really look at not just getting people in, it's getting the right people in. And in Good to Great, Jim Collins is famous for talking about first get the right people on the bus the wrong people off the bus and the right people in the right seats, then figure out where to drive it. So he's a very strong proponent for that. And of course, he said this off the back of research into companies that delivered cumulative returns of at least three times greater than the market over a 15-year period. So they all began their transformation by hiring for culture. That quote is a really useful one. Get the right people on the bus, the wrong people off it, right people in right seats, and then figure out where to go. A really great example of company that's done this is Sanitarium. So Todd Saunders is the general manager of Sanitarium. He's been that leader for over a decade. 
I first saw him speak at the Human Synergistics Conference in, I think it was 2012. It was a while ago. Uh, whilst I was still that working at Swiss, that performance partner at Swiss, I was so impressed with his delivery and his focus on culture as a lever of performance and value in a business. I invited him to speak to our leadership team at Swiss at the time. But 10 years later, literally this year, Todd is still investing heavily in culture. And I saw him speak again at the Human Synergistics Conference uh, just a few months ago. And a lot of us have heard of So Good, the milk, the soy brand that Sanitarium sell into cafes. What Sanitarium decided to do was actually design a specific milk brand for cafes because So Good wasn't working in a cafe environment. So they wanted a new range of barista, quality oat, soy rice brand milks, etc. And what they decided to do was recruit their entire cafe milk team based on character and culture because they believed very strongly they could train for skills, but they hired entirely for culture. They wanted a a sort of a subset of their larger organization that was very entrepreneurial, very innovative. And what they did was list out the specific values and mindsets and behaviors that they needed within a team to sort of launch a brand new range within a dominant brand, specifically for attitude and behaviors. What they then discovered was that strategy worked incredibly well for them. They grew that alternative dairy company, brand new brand. It went from zero to 80 million in four years, which is really an incredible achievement. It's now the number one in the alternative milk category in Woolies. And so that's a really good example of an, of an organization and a leader who so strongly believes in culture that to hire for culture will actually drive a much stronger outcome in, in the end. So what is all this telling us? It's telling us that culture matters doesn't have to be an intangible asset that we leave up to chance. It can be measured, it can be managed, and it can be amplified with clear strategy, investment, and committed leadership. All of this research points to the fact that investing in culture adds significant value and saves on significant costs. Thanks for listening to The Culture Catalyst. If you've enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe, and feel free to leave a review. And if you want to connect, you can find me all the time on LinkedIn. I love questions and I love comments. So if you'd like me to explore anything specific to your context in the next episode, then please DM me on LinkedIn or email me at stephanie at stephaniebound.com. So what will be your catalyst for change today? I'm Stephanie Bound. See you next time on The Culture Catalyst.